Welcome to the Ignite Agility Podcast. Here's your host, Angela Johnson. Welcome to Ignite Agility. Today I have with me the author of Why Teams Don't Work. And as we're finding out, it is now the new Why Teams Don't Work, Dr. Harvey Robbins. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. Tell us why it's the new Why Teams Don't Work. What happened to the old one? What happened to the old one? Well, it's funny because I wrote the Why Teams Don't Work book, uh, I guess it was 1996, so it's like old, old. Um, and I wrote it because I was angry about some of the teams I was working with and they were screwing up left and right. And uh, so I wrote this book about the two sides of teamwork, the technical side and the interpersonal side, and it was a very prescriptive book. It was, here's your problem, you do this to fix it. Because I, I believe people are basically, they want to know, how do I fix things? It's very prescriptive. And so uh, Mike, who was the uh, co-author with me on this book, uh, we wrote this book over lunches at different places around town. And we submitted it to an agent of ours who used to be our editor for the first book we wrote together called Turf Wars. And then uh, she became our agent, and she took this, the, the Why Teams Don't Work book, and submitted it to Sound, uh, to Sound, what was the name of that? Soundview? Soundview Books. Anyway, um, it's a big um, book review organization. And so they usually take on maybe eight books, ten books a year. They'll put a little blurb in magazines about the book if they like it. If they really like it, they'll do an expose on the book. So they really liked our book and they did an expose on it. Those are the ones who, if you go on an airplane, you see the magazines mm-hmm. where it's this look of the, this list of the best business books and they, you see a stack of them. You see yeah. It, right? So ours was on that list. Ours was put on that thing. And so the next thing I know, uh, we get this letter, Mike and I, from the... Uh, Financial Times, Booz Allen, Hamilton, Global Business Book Award. First time it was ever offered. Million dollar prizes. You big got a million inter- dollars? No. Big, <laughs> interna- I wish. big international judging panels using Pulitzer Prize criteria. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy stuff from around the world. And it was three, three, six winners in two categories. So uh, three, three places around the world. You had the Americas, North and South America, you had uh, Europe, and then you had Asia. And there were two winners in each of one of those regions. One, the best book about business, and then the second category was the best management book. And so we get this letter from this organization we never heard of, this award we never heard of, and there w- it turns out we're a finalist on this list, and we didn't, hmm. know anyth- we didn't even know we were submitted for it, so we called up uh, our agent, who was, uh, uh, his name at the time was uh, Andrea Podolsky, and so uh, she's out of New York, and we uh, said, uh, Mike and I, we said, uh, what is all this stuff? She told us about the award, and she said she just threw in for slaps and giggles to see what would happen, and so we said, well, we're not going to fly to New York and spend our money just to lose to all these other, there were like eight books on this list, and uh, on the finalist list, and we had read probably half of them, and they were really good by really good authors. And we, we thought, well, we're just these two schmucks from, from Minnesota, so we're not going to go out there and, and spend our money and lose. So 
uh, we sent Andrea. It was the it was held at the Radio City Musical Hall Music Hall, and so we we get a call from her later that evening. She says, "Well, congratulations, you won. Pack your bags and go into London to get this award." <laughs> and so so we get all excited. We go out there in the wards at Whitehall Palace, and you walk in, and there's a a 16 foot large poster of the cover of our book on there along with all the other winners from around the world right you got these six winners and you know then it turns out no one tells us these things but we have to give a speech there and we didn't know about that and so we have to give this speech and we're following these these germans who have this book called the deutsche bank it's like a seven inch thick book <laughs> about the of all course. the years that the german bank was in existence and how it affected the world and all that kind of stuff and written by seven authors, and they're up there, and they're in tears saying, you know, how this book has affected their, their country and the standing in the world and all this kind of stuff. And then, and here, from Minnesota, and we have to get up there, and, you know, and all I wanted to do was tell jokes or something, and, and it was international press. There's 150 international mm -hmm. press in the audience and everything. So, anyway, I just tried to bluff my way through this kind of stuff and told people a little bit about the book. So anyway, so we're going home. We're getting interviewed on on uh, on the Power Hour lunch hour thing on New York on the radio and stuff about the book, and and so we get all this great press. And here we have this great book in our hands. Three months later, the publisher of that book was bought out by Thompson, who said, "We don't want you to print any more of these books because we have competitive books, and so you're out of luck." No. Oh. You know? And so because of that. Uh, Mike and I got uh, upset, uh, sure. naturally, and we found out from Andrea that, well, there's another publisher who wanted the book and lost the bidding for it to begin with, and they still want it, uh, but if you add 20% more content or different content, it can count as a brand new book. Ah, the loophole. Right. So <laughs> we added stuff on leadership in there and team leadership, uh, which wasn't in the original book, uh, and, but I didn't want to lose the title, Why Teams Don't right. Work, because I fought hard to get that title. Um, and so that's why I just put the new in there. So it's the new Why Teams Don't Work. <laughs> Different cover, but it's, all, it's got everything in the original book plus a little extra on leadership in there. So that's why the new team, Why, why Teams Don't Work, awesome. came, came to an existence. So we met in 2010, and when I heard you speaking, in my brain... I kept thinking, he's talking about Scrum. He's talking about, oh, teams evaluate priorities in 30-day or less segments. He's talking about sprints. And I remember you're like, crazy lady, I don't know what the hell Scrum is. <laughs> and so <laughs> I sucked you into my world, and we've been fortunate enough to have you speak at Scrum Day Minnesota a couple years, and people just eat up your thoughts on teams. And one of the things you always say to me is, people like prescription. Yeah. And in Scrum, we aren't teaching prescription necessarily. We're teaching a little bit of prescription. It's minimal prescription. Like, here's some roles, here's some events. But it's more about values and principles. Yeah, you're teaching a process, too. Right, you know, right. It's based on values and principles. And people understand values and principles, but they want to know, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but what do I do? How do I do things? Tell me what to do. You know, I used to think, well, people are just basically lazy about that, but it, it turns out that uh, they are lazy, <laughs> number one. <laughs> and, and Good number, to know. <laughs> you know, I'm lazy too most of the time. 
Um, people just want to give me a step-by-step process to follow that will get me to where I need to be or want to be. And so, I mean, that's why the book won that award in the first place is a lot of how-to. You run across this situation, you solve it by doing these two or three things. Choose between them, whatever works for you. Um, so what, what was happening with the Scrum uh, um, presentations, and you're right, I mean, I never heard of Scrum before I talked to you. I thought it was, you know, <laughs> rugby. And, right. Right? And uh, so I, I looked it up, and when you asked me the first uh, year that mm-hmm. I did that uh, presentation, and it turns out that Scrum is all over the world. You know, we're like the last place in the world that, that's dealing with Scrum compared to the rest of the world. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting stuff. And, and I asked you at the time, well, why are you even inviting me? And you were telling me that my, pro- my process for building teams is, especially on the technical side, um, is, uh, is identical or very close to what Scrum is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, well, yeah, because the teams work best when they have a, a very clear process of prioritizing the goals and objectives and creating short-term high-priority lists and, and uh, making sure you have small, what you call sprints to get things done in a short period of time and constantly feedback and you're repeating the process in my process with teams every 30 days or less but I emphasize in workshops, or less. Right. Could be two or three times a week. Could be two or three times a day. I mean, I was working with this one company in California where they were reprioritizing the goals and objectives three times a day. Wow. Because they were in such a high-tech, new, uh, original research-based uh, kind of company uh, in the high-tech field that they had to, uh, and they were running three shifts a day, that at the end of one shift, the beginning of the next, they would get together, run a brief sprint, and change their priorities for the next shift. Yep, so we talk so, a lot about adapting, daily, you know, daily opportunities exactly, to adapt. Exactly, exactly. So the, uh, the team stuff that I talk about is, as I mentioned, it's very uh, prescriptive, but it deals with two sides of the world. It deals with the technical side, and it deals with the interpersonal side. And I think the problem that I've seen in the Scrum issue is... It's a process that you're teaching. It's a very, um, um, uh, the technical side of getting things done. But you don't really deal with the interpersonal side very often, and that's what trips people up all the time, mm-hmm. you know? How do you get people to get along who don't get along, or have, they have toxic relationships based on different personalities or <coughs> different personal goals or needs that a person has, and it's in conflict with someone else on their team, or you bring in new team members to solve other issues, and you haven't incorporated them into the team process and <coughs> excuse me so they're all confused and and angry and they're trying to make a mark for themselves and it gets other people on the team all, all upset because it's throwing the rhythm of the team off so a lot of the things i talk about in the team process is how do you incorporate new people onto the team for example mm-hmm. how do you deal with people who don't get along with each other you know, in the in the Scrum presentation at the Scrum Day, I talked about the four personalities and how do you deal with uh, what what each of the four personalities needs in order to feel comfortable contributing to the outcome of the team. Because uh, I run across people who, if they don't feel like they're getting their needs met, they just won't contribute. They'll sit back like a you know like a bump on a log and they won't do anything. So. That's what resonated, I think, most with that audience that day is when you talk about potentially toxic relationships out of the four 
And inevitably, I think half of the audience was looking at each other, trying to figure out who <laughs> on their team, you know, they were toxic with. And, I, and I'm firmly believing that the other half of the audience was trying to figure out their spouse, you know, and where they fell on the Griggs. I was eavesdropping on a lot of the conversations. Well, you know, it, 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 it goes well beyond what happens on the job. Uh, it, you, know, you can't uh, take this information and, and hold it on to just a work-related uh, situation. It, it usually leaks over to home life and family life all the time. And, and I tell people, because inevitably they ask, well, you know, how does this relate to my family? And I say, well, look at it this way. Opposites attract is not just a, a phrase. It, it's actually true. And so if you want to look at the person that you're most toxic with, look at your first spouse. And I emphasize first spouse <laughs> because if you, don't, if you don't resolve the difference that you naturally have with each other that attracts you to each other in the first place, you're going to be in trouble as a marriage. That's right. So one or both of you is, is going to have to be versatile to meet the needs of the other person before your own in order to get along. And that's what versatility is, which is the key to overcoming all these negative uh, barriers to people getting along interpersonally on a team. Everyone has a different personality. Not everyone is locked into the same personality because depending on what's going on at home or at work or in their head somewhere, noodling around, they might change their personality moment to moment. So it's like trying to hit someone who's constantly moving all the time. If you're trying to meet their needs, but they're different tomorrow than they were today or different this afternoon than they were this morning. So, you know, I teach people versatility. How do you hit a moving target? Um, with uh, either trying to figure out what they want or why they want it or how they want to get to the outcome or who they want to involve in it, you know, that will meet a lot of their interpersonal needs. Well, our team's product owner is a driver, and that's working really well for us right now because we're getting a lot of stuff done. Yeah, and pissing people off in the process. <laughs> and me. her question was uh, around those toxic relationships because she does understand that, and she does understand the versatility plans that you teach in the book. But she mentioned, what if one person in that toxic relationship is interested in developing a, a versatility plan and working on it, and the other party just simply is not? Yeah, well, you know, now you're touching on stuff like human nature. And there's a principle in psychology called interpersonal reciprocity, which simply means, you know, for in layman's terms, if I do something bad to you, your first inclination is to want to get even with me, mm -hmm. you know. On the other hand, if I do something really good for you, as in communicate with you in a manner that makes it easy for you to understand what I'm saying, right. because I'm meeting your personality needs, there's an unconscious desire to help support me and meet my needs in return. And you can't help yourself by mm. doing that. So it's almost a way of you know, giving a handout first and then a person will reciprocate in kind. Even if a person doesn't want to be versatile, they can't help themselves. And then if they just simply don't, well, if <laughs> is, they it a, simply don't. is it a sign that something else is wrong? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, not everyone's normal. I mean, 70% <laughs> of the population are considered normal. The other 30% are a little off bubble maybe, but not, you know, clinically nuts. But of those 30%, you're going to have 5% of those people who are generally crazy and ought to be locked away somewhere. But thanks to our government, we've opened up all these the doors to all these loony bins and turned <laughs> these people loose on the streets, and they end up working in your companies. And so the only thing you can do with these folks is they stand out like a sore thumb. So 
they're obvious because they're they don't fit with everyone and they're they're getting people upset left and right and they're not contributing to the outcome uh, you have to isolate those folks uh, I'm a big believer in don't uh, keep person on the job who doesn't belong there just because you want to be nice and you know there are a lot of organizations that say well you know we'll keep the person we'll kind of shuffle them to the side, not give them a whole lot of responsibilities, but it's not really nice to fire them. You know, I'm thinking they're nuts. They ought to fi be fired because they're not doing any good to the organization, not doing any good to themselves because they're not developing themselves personally. Um, so you do run across those people who just don't fit. And if the person is technically competent and you don't want to lose their skill set, then, you know, you do the old uh, mushroom philosophy, you know, stick them in a dark room in the basement somewhere <laughs> and just throw dirt on them. But you keep them away from everyone else. My strategy is always give them a laptop, send them to Sri Lanka, and have them telecommute. So that way they don't have to interface personally with someone and get them all riled up. So that's a strategy as well, is just isolate them somewhere and, and suck their brains dry. But that's also not fair to that individual. Right. It doesn't help them. So the best thing to do is, because that's using an individual. Right. I'm not above that, mind you, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. So if you're not helping that person develop, you can always get someone else to replace them. A lot of people don't want to get someone fired because they think, well, they're, they have such skill sets that we can't afford to lose them. That's not true. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of skill sets, and you can you can always replace someone who's not behaving or fitting into the, the behavioral expectations or the norms. Um, it's very rare that you run across an individual who is just so valuable you can't afford to lose them. One of the scrum values is res respect, and I always say it's more respectful to that person, too, yeah. to let them go if that's the ultimate well, decision. Well, look at it this way. It's also more respectful to the leader of the organization. If I, because I want to be altruistic, I want to keep a person on staff, so I have all these other high performers on the team, and they're looking at me as the leader, holding on to a person who's not behaving appropriately or not contributing. They're, I'm losing their respect mm -hmm. because they're looking at me as being a weak leader then. So right. I'm not doing myself any good by keeping someone on staff uh, and losing the respect of all the other high-performing members of my team. Right. Um, we had you do a one-day workshop with us a while ago on creating high-performing teams, and we invited a number of our Scrum Masters. Uh, we have a lot of graduates of our Scrum Master programs, and the Scrum Master inevitably is the person who has to deal with the interpersonal side or yeah. all this people stuff that comes up. Yeah. And what the Scrum Masters, you know, we're, we're getting tired of our team saying to them, well, this isn't a scrum problem. This is really a people problem. And they're like, well, now what? So we're like, let's get you to the doctor. Let's get you to Dr. Harvey <laughs> Robbins and talk about all this people stuff. So the, the book has a whole chapter dedicated to dealing with difficult people. But is there a, just a one or two things you can share with our listeners? About dealing with difficult dealing people? Dealing with difficult people. Well, you have to figure out why they're difficult. Uh, they're either difficult because they're not getting their personal needs met somewhere along the way or they're dealing with someone they don't feel is either on the same quality as themselves, you know, they put themselves on a higher pedestal or something, but something usually is bugging them and it's usually not work-related. Something outside of work, like home life, like they may be taking care of, of an elderly uh, parent or they've taken mm -hmm. care of some kids who have some 
uh, some medical issues or something like that. So they're worried about other things, and they take that and bring it into the workplace. So they're not really necessarily difficult people, but they have issues that are not work-related, and they think of work as interfering with their higher priority, mm -hmm. which is home life-related kind of stuff. I run across very few people who are just difficult people to deal with because of a work relation kind of thing. It's mostly outside of work that's a, you have difficulty working right. with these people. But again, I mean, I always said that people aren't willing to work on a team unless you get their personal needs met somewhere along the way. So you need to find out if you're a team leader or even just a, another team member, if you're running across someone who's ha they're having difficulty integrating into the team, find out what it is that they want. Why are they on the team? What do they hope to accomplish? What do they want personally out of this experience? So the Creating High-Performing Teams workshop that we're going to hold again because it was so popular is happening December 3rd at West End Conference Center. Anything that attendees could expect? Or should they just come with all their difficult people scenarios? Yeah, come with all those scenarios because it's fun to talk about them in the open with other people. They probably have similar situations. Uh, come dressed for winter because I'm sure it'll be cold out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll start with a jog around the block in the winter. How's that with shorts and t-shirts? Okay, we want people to come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, We're about trying that. to discourage people. Um, yeah, uh, what I like is to have people bring their own personal experiences that either they've had a success at or that they're having problems with. Uh, People love the stories that people have worked through, real life scenarios. And you know, I can just add from a psychological standpoint why these behaviors occur and how to change the behaviors if you need to. Um, but I think uh, you know, the, the more fun I have on these workshops is, the, is the, uh, the interaction between all the participants telling their stories and the people who are quote unquote faculty members. Great. Well, thank you for being on Ignite Agility today. And we'll see you December 3rd. Looking forward to it, especially the jog around the block. <laughs> <laughs>